She's a professional aromatherapist, and he is an international wellness advocate for the largest essential oil company in the world. But their love for essential oils has brought them together. Welcome to Fellowship in Essential Oils, where Elizabeth Ashley and Adam Barillet discuss essential oils and their gifts for the body, heart, head and spirit. Welcome to this week's episode of Fellowship in Essential Oils. I'm really excited about the oil we're diving into this week. I know it's in Liz's inner circle, not one in mine, so I'm fascinated to find out what, what I've been pondering and whether it resonates with Liz's expansive um, experience with this oil. Today we're exploring galbanum, Liz. We are. And it's, a uh, yeah, so I wouldn't say it was one of my ones in my inner circle. I do use it a lot, but it, it's it's not. But it is in my family's uh, circle. So my mum was a big advocate. My sister goes nowhere without it. She has it in a handbag all of the time. So, uh, yeah, it gets used a lot in our house. And I have to say, so where we, like, have these situations where, Britain says things differently to the rest of the world. So as a black country wench, I should say that I always say Galbanum. Galbanum, <laughs> so, Gal. <laughs> but it's, but it's very sans Wolverhampton when I say it. Say it. So apologies for that. But yeah, Galbanum. But yeah, a lovely, lovely oil in my opinion. Yeah. Now it's a bit of an interesting oil from the plant that it actually comes from. It, it's, I believe it's a member of the carrot family. It's native to Iraq and Iran. Um, and it is a resin oil, but normally when we think of resin oils, we think of these big, expansive trees and the resin coming either oozing out from the trunk or something like that. A little bit different with this one, isn't it? Yeah, so it's so it's probably its closest cousin is asafoetida, um, but it's a, it looks, I guess, a bit like a giant fennel or um, an angelica. Um, so the ferula family, as you say, yes, native to sort of, the, the Middle East, and there's around about 180 different members of this family, but particularly the Asafoetida and the Galbanum Panther, the really important ones medicinally. And the resin is found in the little, because it's kind of a little stalk and there's a big flowering of yellow flowers at the top, isn't it? And the resin is kind of found in that little stalk. Yes. So what they, t what they do is they cut it really close to the roots um, because then it oozes lots and lots of the resin. And, of course, you know, we, we recognise what the resin's for. It's to protect the plant, to say, oh, something's happened, healed. Um, so, but what's interesting is there's sort of different uh, hardnesses of galbanum. And when we're talking about that, I'm talking about what you use as incense, that kind of, you know, the, mm. the hard resin and the soft resin. They distill the soft resin. Um, and what happens is so many insects get stuck in it because it's it's all gummy. Then they have to soften it again to get rid of all the, <laughs> and then they they distill that. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. And probably the the way that I would describe it to most people who haven't seen the plant before, it's kind of like when we break open dandelions and we've got that milky kind of. Um, yes, I would say that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For people that are trying to get a visual of it, that's the kind of idea I think of when I think of galbanum. Yeah, and it, it's quite, it's green. And um, what's interesting is in perfumery, there are very few green fragrances, which I always think is very odd considering that how many green plants there are in the world. But it's considered to be a truly green fragrance. But if you like, I've got one on my scented stick. 
it takes quite a long time for the green to come through it's, uh, uh, and it's it's almost like tar like to begin with and you would think if you smelt it that it was really thick and unctuous and dark because it smells smoky but it's absolutely clear and it's quite thin when it comes out of the bottle um but um yeah it's uh you, when you look at it like chemically almost half of its constituents are alpha pinene but it takes quite a long time for those even though they're monoterpenes to come to the top and then suddenly go oh oh i can almost smell pine in there but it takes a long time yeah the, it's the sesquiterpenes are thick in it yeah i must admit when it comes to fragrance it's a really unusual one it's not something you can kind of compare to others probably if i had to lead people down the path if they haven't smelt it before we know that vetiver smells like the earth well, this kind of smells like the earth with those green shoots coming out of it. And it does, I know it does have a bit of a link to the spring equinox, which we can talk about later. But yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of that green earthiness, doesn't it? Yeah, yes, yeah. So that kind of, it, it's, uh, I, I think the Romans associated it with, the, with the, the goddess Flora, didn't they? And it is very much like that first bit where the world, the, the earth is in barren winter and then you get those first shoots. So you've still got mm. the wetness of winter in there, but it is quite smoky. Yeah. 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 Now I'm intrigued with this. Um, was it your sister or your sister-in-law you said was, um, won't go somewhere without galbanum? My sister Tasha. Yeah. I, you know, why? What does she use it for? So she is a really avid camper. Um, so <laughs> she's, I always get pictures of her sitting out in in these tents surrounded by the rain and I think, oh, you are bonkers. But um, so like when you're camping, it's easy to stand on like a thorn or um, to get, you know, scratching your fingers. And she does. She's got an allotment. She's an avid gardener. So she's always kind of getting ripped and stuff. Um, and I think that um, if you were to think of a a like theme word for it i would say festering you know and so if anything that's kind of starting to fester or to go ulcerated or to go septic or bad then that's what i would use galbanum for she uses it like thorn straight away so that it doesn't um and also she's told she, she tells a story often she a friend of hers got a blackthorn into a ha hand yeah hand very very deeply and it wouldn't come out wherever they did it wouldn't come out yet the galbanum seemed to pull it out so mm. that was really interesting but she she uses it all the time but i have to say it's not it's not pretty smelling you're going to need to blend it with other things but in terms of uh things looking a bit it, it's a great oil yeah yeah is a you know for me pretty much my I, doTERRA offers it as a limited time oil and we have we don't i don't have too much information or experience with it i will occasionally if i'm sleeping at home by myself um we'll pop a drop in with my moisturizer at night because it is a resin for that skincare kind of thing but apart from that I, i'm intrigued with the you know splinters or thorns and that type of thing but where else would you maybe reach for galbanum so, so in terms of skincare, I know that uh, uh, Marguerite Maury, who was like one of the pioneers of aromatherapy, she always used galbanum with uh, violet 
for skincare, which is an absolutely enchanting and just like it's almost like deep violet chocolate uh, fragrance. And she used it on on the skin, but she always warns don't use it on young skins. It's very much for more more mature skins. Um, in Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine, they talk about how it moves qi through the body. And particularly Chinese medicine talks about how it moves blood qi. So anything that feels kind of stagnant, then you have this movement. So on the, on the most basic level, we would say uh, constipation, uh, chest congestion, phlegm, catar, um, circulation problems such as um, hemorrhoids or um, what they're called in your legs, varicose veins, um, any kind of poor circulation, so Raynaud's disease or just cold feet. Um, uh, and also like rheumatism arthritis that kind of thing um it has a really long history in iranian medicine and actually they take the resin orally um i will tell you it tastes absolutely disgusting but um if you put like some in honey and you put it then put that into warm water and drink that for three days they say that will get rid of hemorrhoids, but also any kind of um, sort of stomach problems where there is digestive stagnation, like flatulence, indigestion, all of that kind of thing. Um, and I feel like there's something else yet. So, so I often talk about how I have a favourite constituent, and that's beta caryophylline, but it's it's got a contender now. Alpha pinene is vast is on my radar as like the superpower of the time at the moment. And the reason for that is because of the research into something called chondrocytes. So chondrocytes are the cells that make up cartilage. Um, so they you find a richness of chondrocytes in the discs of the spine and in the tissue that lines the joints. And they found that alpha-pinene actually helps uh, chondrocytes to regenerate. So if somebody has uh, like osteoporosis, this is the key area that they're looking to investigate. Um, alpha-pinene can be extremely good for helping to regenerate the uh, the cartilage that's lost in the spine but also think about if somebody has had like a hip replacement how clever it will be if they can impl implant like chondrocytes into the the um into the the surgical place so if you think about how it's been used and and we should say it's like an ingredient that's been used for we know three and a half thousand years because it's in the exodus um use that on a wound that's had like a surgical area we say it heals the skin but the alpha pinene also helps to regenerate the, the actual joint itself so it's a really important from that point of view um yeah wow so it's it, I, I honestly think it is one of the most important oils that we've got and yet nobody ever talks about it and we'll go on to spiritual aspects in a minute and it, that also has really important uh ways of using it.
Mm. When you're talking about the alpha pinene in the galbanum, is it that it has a high amount of um, alpha pinene, or almost you know? half of it? Almost half of it is alpha pinene. Okay, so about forty-five percent yeah. usually. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, some, so probably topical use would be a, a, a popular way of using this when you do have either those kind of wounds that need healing or yeah, or any kind, or any kind of pain because I mean alpha pinene also they know now. Uh, it's like nociceptive. It's got a weak action on the mu receptor, which is what op opioids uh, work on. So again, you've got that that pain killing action as well. So any kind of, I mean, as I say, rheumatism, arthritis, aches and pains, particularly like in massage, because it's just like oh, you go like that. It's so relaxing, um, fantastic. And and like I say, you know, also. If you've got like an old person who skin tears are so so problematic for old people who are bedridden, um, mm. and you know, bed sores and stuff like that, imagine using this beautiful oil that's so sedative, so calming. As I say, I haven't said actually thinking about it, associated with Osiris, so associated with death in, in Egypt, you know. That transition to the other side, it's so, so peaceful and you are protecting their skin too. Really, I, I, I can't rate it enough. Yeah. When you were talking about, you know, massaging it in, what would you tend to, you know, it, its aroma is a little bit, let's say, unique. What would you probably mix it with for massage blend? Um, depends what it was for. But if it was something like, if somebody was bedridden, I think it'd be like lavender and chamomile. It blends mm -hmm. absolutely beautifully with your, your, your floral oils like um, rose and geranium. It's even though it's got like a, a quite flat scent to it, it. It's a rich scent, and if you've got sort of flowery, like um, upbeat fragrances like citruses and things like that, goes absolutely beautiful with it. Yeah, from from just a kind of a totally aromatic kind of sense, I think it's it's really nice with the flowers and the fruits especially for that kind of uplifting springtime feel um feel you've got you know that is the earth from which all the flowers and the fruit are growing so it can be a really nice springtime kind of energy and, and blend in that way yeah yeah absolutely. now i'm excited because you know you mentioned osiris and the um and the underworld um and i was actually kind of going on my own little journey um that kind of came through since i've been leaning in more to galvanum over the last week so tell me a little bit more about the spiritual aspect of Osiris. I'm intrigued if we're, it looks like we've gone down the same garden path from different well, angles. So, so it is like um, a, a traditional use in, in, in uh, Egypt. Obviously, it wouldn't be the essential oil. It would be the resin that had been uh, macerated into a warm oil of some description. But traditionally, it was uh, put onto Osiris's head um, at the time of, of the funeral um, as a means of uh, giving an offering to um, Osiris to say, please intercede after death for us. And what I find is absolutely fascinating, and this is kind of like a, a cross-section to the research that I'm doing into myrrh. Um, so if you read enough about myrrh, they'll say, myrrh is my putrefaction. So myrrh is used in the funeral rites, um, to uh, kind of bring the bones and the skin and things back together 
after um, the funerary rites been done so that like the, the spirit is intact in the other world. But there's like this whole body of work around the putrefaction and Osiris and his representation of it. And what's interesting is you'll often see him uh, depicted with a green face. And of course, Galbert, we're putting green oil on his face and he is green. And it's like the um, the phases of the um, the putrefaction as they, uh, you know, as the, um, what I'm trying to say, rigor mortis sets in, kind of goes through a green mottly phase. Uh, and they think that's probably exactly what he represents. But of course, he also represents rebirth. Um, you know, he's, uh, well, yeah, so he's not he's not regeneration, he's resurrection. But of course, we're thinking about the cycle of coming back, and, and that is that spring as well. Yeah. So I originally was thinking of you know I, I associated uh, Galbadon with being very Pluto, um, but then I kind of over the last couple of days or so kept on getting this strong message about Mercury um, or Hermes. Um, and, you know, yellow flowers, the Greeks and Romans associated all those plants with Mercury and Hermes. I'm like, well, hold on. Mercury is all to do with communication and the intellect and all that type of thing. And then it just kind of, you know, the the light bulb went off. And I'm like, but one of other Mercury's other roles was as a psychopomp. He was the guide that would carry the dead down into Pluto, down into the underworld. He would also act as a messenger between um, you know, if anyone was interested in connecting with their ancestors or mediumship, Mercury would help that communication in, in that form as well. And and the transition of all of us between all the different realms as well. So I was like, oh, so, you know, with this connection to the underworld and, and this ability to go between realms and also this re regeneration or this resurrection, as you've talked about, there seems to be Galbanum sits really nicely in that kind of place, whether we're looking in Egyptian mythology or Greek and Roman mythology, and as I say, the the earliest the earliest mention that we have of it is in the Exodus. So that's about three and a half thousand years ago. It's about fourteen hundred BC. But there's been archaeological finds in ancient tombs. I think to eighteenth dynasty. So that would be around about nineteen hundred BC. So very very ancient. And the fact that we see it in a tomb says to us, well, that's got to have something to do with death. But where we find it in the Exodus is in the recipe for the holy um, incense, the Keteret. And the whole purpose of the Keteret was to create a sacred space for the um, Hebrews to be able to communicate with their God, or I should say with God rather than their God, because mm. they only recognise one God. Um, and... But think about how it purified the space, but it, it made it absolutely pure for an interaction between a deity and a human. The, you're quite right in what you say about Hermes. Hermes is actually the only um, mythological um, creature or deity or demigod. He is a god, isn't he? Um, that can go up to the upper realms and down to the lower realms and come back and so we have again this uh access access to a deity um the purified space where we can speak clearly to a deity um and 
it plays a part in what's called the roses and stars. So roses and stars are the the kind of lost um, energy systems that the Melissa use, the Melissa priestesses. So they're kind of like chakras, but not not completely the same. Whereas the chakra system or the, the main chakra system has seven energy centers, although there are many, many more. The roses and stars work on eight, which have correlations with many different things, but particularly the um, octave. And they work through what's called the nectars, the fluids of the body. So if you think about what glands do, then that, that makes a great deal of sense. Well, galbanum is to do with the, we still call it the crown chakra or the door, we call it. Um, and so again, there's this opening into the spiritual realm and this correct connection to the, the wider space. But it was really important to me after I had the, the event with the Melissa work and the, the big initiation and I was really quite ill from it and I was very close to running away and I'd recently done a, a tremendous lecture with um, Kathy Skipper and Florian Berkmeyer and Florian had talked about from a shamanic point of view Galbanum is very good for keeping your feet to the fire and saying don't run you're supposed to be doing this. This is your purpose. And you'll see a lot of writing about Galbanum connects you to your purpose. Keep your feet to the fire. Don't run. And so um, I used Melissa, Rose and Galbanum together. And it, I make no mistake, it was really difficult, really difficult to keep on doing the work. But it, it did keep my feet to my fire. And, and obviously, we are out the other side ready to publish a book now. And I, I think that probably Galbanum was really key in being able to achieve that. Mm. I think it almost feels to me like it, you know, when we talk about the the resin oils, um, most of the other resin oils, you know, myrrh, frankincense, um, all the ones that we've kind of uh, Peru Balsam that we explored a few weeks ago, they do all have these deep kind of um, seriousness to them. And it's almost as though galbanum to me feel, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you're still here because when you called Mercury a demigod, I was waiting for the lightning to come to the window and yeah. take you out. <laughs> yeah, think you are. <laughs> yeah. But you know, there's the, the heaviness and the uh, or a heaviness and a seriousness of the of the other resin oils. And galbanum does almost have it feels like the gateway essential oil to the deep worlds of the resins and the secrets of the resins that Mercury would almost take us to. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. And and. I always remember talking to um, Valerie Warwood about her work with Aroma Genera and she was talking, so Aroma Genera has lots of aspects, but particularly she was talking about ancestral memory and how that gets mm. passed through. And she was saying to me that ma the majority of the work that she does with, with uh, ancestral memory is with these root oils and uh, and resins you know these deep deep ones that seem to go deep deep into the psyche yeah i think um you know this would be a great one for people that wanted to go a little bit deeper as well and where i've found it can be really nice from an emotional healing aspect is really great for um people um one where, where there's an imbalance of blame where sometimes people either will always want to blame other people and not accept responsibility or will always take uh, take too much responsibility and take all the blame on themselves. It can really help in levelling out that. 
But another thing I find it really helpful for is for helping us to, you know, in our book, we talk about the gift of it is unearthing. And I think it's for anyone who's willing to kind of take a bit of a deeper look at what's happening in life. So whether it be, okay, who's responsible for something unfurling, but also this need that many of us have to project, um, you know, to, to make it look like everything's going okay or that have issues um, feeling that, you know, I don't want to be wrong. They don't like being wrong about anything or they always need to present a, a false kind of reality where everything is perfect all the time. And this can be a really great oil for helping us to go, well, we all make mistakes. We all have bad days. That's part of the journey of going into, you know, the darkness of life and having those tough times and facing those tough times and learning from those tough times rather than burying them and pretending that everything's okay, I'm always right, everything's hunky-dory and rosy. Do you know what I mean? I do. And if you – I mean, I originally did the work back on in Galbane and, well, Dex was still a baby in arms. I was getting him out of his cot, so he'd have been around 2009. And the internet was still quite infant as well. And the, the few references I could find about Gilbanum, there was this continual reference to St. Saint, Saint James. And I was like, where's the evidence? Where's the primary source? And I've never found the primary source. But what I was interested to find out, well, well who is St. James, as in the James the Disciple? And he is referred to, um, hmm, maybe, can't remember which book, maybe, maybe, mark but that might be wrong but but jesus tells him off for being ambitious and not doing things for the sake of charity for doing things for himself and this idea of and and, and what struck me when i found that was very similar to what you've des uh, described how people cover their asses you know mm. at work and stuff like that um and who don't you know they'll they'll they'll, bang, they'll step on people for the for the sake of stepping on people and they're not very charitable about you know very, very compassionate about things that are going on the problem that you've got is if somebody's that sort of disconnected from and, and i always say a good spiritual path but there there is my shadow speaking if ever there was some that i'm like reflecting on them but but they're not going to want the oils on them and but see, so kind of maybe could diffuse it, but again, you've got the human rights aspect of how dare you do that in my space without me knowing who, what you're doing. But it, it is interesting to watch, you know, if, uh, if perhaps somebody is like in bed with all these these wounds and these bed sores, and they've been ordering people around, and they're kind of not thinking about everybody else, all about them because it hurts. And why would you not be bitter? Um, to see the difference. And what's interesting mm. is, and I can't remember the rabbi's name. He, I think his name was Rabbi, Rabbi Rashi. But um, and he wrote the reason why he thought that the uh, that Galbanum had been put into the cataract was a, because it was bitter, and because it was a reminder to the human not to be bitter and to be sweeter and more generous in one's nature. Yeah, wow, I, I love that. That's really interesting. Um, another aspect we look at with this emotional healing and, and people wanting to do the serious work um, is 
um, when you have that feeling of being overlooked or being jealous because maybe a sibling, maybe a colleague, maybe someone else is getting all the attention and you, you take that, oh, you know, because they're getting all the attention, that means that I am not as special, um, but everyone needs their time to shine as well. So I guess, you know, Galbrim for me would be a really great one for anyone who feels that they always have to be the centre of attention, they need to show that everything is going well. Um, it takes us into that reality that, hey, sometimes you're not going to be the most desirable person. Sometimes it's, it's not, not your, your day. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, I, that that's a, that's a Mercury thing, though, isn't it? Being able to communicate that well, you know, of shut up, shut up with your ego and say nice things. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, with the with the talking about, you know, that Galbanum is almost like this entryway into the underworld and the darkness and, and death and resurrection, and that kind of thing. I think it can also guide us into our own darkness of the aspects where we want to portray that, that false happy reality and that we've got it all together, but to admit that, okay, maybe we're not the best for the job. Maybe our life isn't perfect. Maybe it, someone else is better off to take that role. All those types of things are kind of going, maybe I'm not that special. And that can sound a bit kind of dragging people down, but I think it's getting that balance between we need to believe in ourselves, but also realise that everyone else is special as well. And sometimes, you know, the rainbow has all different colours and sometimes it's Violet's Day and not Red's Day, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely right. And and I think also the nature of the scent is quite melancholy. It's, um, mm. you know, for those days where, well, actually today it's absolutely horrible outside. It's dismal and grey and murky, kind of smells like that, you know. And yeah. those days where you think, well, I'm feeling a bit sorry for myself. It, it's it's good. It matches the mood and kind of moves you away from it. But it, it's not like, it's a bit like somebody, give somebody lemon in those situations. It's a bit like shining a torch in their eyes is a bit too much you know yeah um, yeah but, but also the other thing is that it, it has um we're talking about pluto and i absolutely agree that you know it, it's plutonian it's entry into the underworld but when we're talking about pluto then we have to say well is there a an element of sex involved in because pluto is is all about um sex um and genitourinary Iranian medicine says very good for the kidneys, very good for the urethra, very good for bladder problems, excuse me, <clears throat> but also used in um, Iranian medicine, in, in army medicine for um, what they're called in the womb. Not thyroids, what they're called? Uh, fibroids. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, not for your thyroid. It's for your fibroids. <laughs> and if your thyroid's down in your uterus, you've got a problem. Yeah. Just rent. Um, and also used for um to dis dispel the fetus if the after a miscarriage as well. So all of those say Pluto to me. All of those say those uh, the death kind of pathway, the the womb, um, womb and the tomb. It's a very Melissa phrase to say. So I, I agree entirely in your psychic journey that it took you on. I agree. Yeah, really interesting. And, and I think one thing I guess to wrap up, I'd like to emphasise that all, although we're kind of talking about it, taking us into this reality check and the gloom and the doom, it's not a negative necessarily oil. It's about being willing to confront the darker or the 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 honest truth of how life is rather than pretend that it's all 
rainbows and lollipops. Yes, to put and, that in like a a more theological framework, you know, the the, the journey of the the priestess to high priestess is all through the shadow realm. It's all about yes. know, know thyself and being able to go deeper into those parts of yourself and being able, yes, psychopomp, yes, escorting the dead, but also escorting those parts of you that that have died. Um, funnily enough, that, that, that woke my dream then. So the bees did come to me last night and that's just completely broke the dream. Talking about how it, it is also a journey into the past in childhood of those things that have left behind perhaps the thorn and as things have sealed over, but then we are using them as triggers later on. So it's very good for things like phobias. I remember writing a long time ago about how somebody had used it for claustrophobia, agoraphobia. Um, mm. And these kind of feeling locked in, but also the journey of how how did this manifest? Where did this come from? And being able to to face the the memory that that started it. Um, I mean, it's not it's not your everyday oil on a spiritual basis. It, it's deep psychological work, I think. Yeah, but definitely a special one, and I can kind of see now why it is. You know, it, it's worth having in your collection. Yeah, yeah, and especially yeah. if you are the kind, if you come from, if you are, I was going to say, they come from the background, but if you have a dispensation like me to to want to wander into the invisible realms, then it, it's a good guardian to have, definitely. Very much so, very much so. So that's a little bit about Galbraham. Next week we're going to go a little bit, we're going to go from a, an earthy kind of mysterious um, essential oil we may kind of swing the pendulum the other way. We're going to dive into one of the probably the nicest smelling essential oils, neroli or orange blossom. Yeah, definitely. And uh, what I will say to people just before we we took, uh, we leave Galbanium, if if well, we're going to talk about it in the masterclass, but what on earth yes. we're going to talk about in the masterclass? Who knows? And I would love to, given that I've given you so much information there, please write your questions because I'm sure that interesting questions will come from this one. So. I think perhaps we don't prepare anything for Galbanum as such. We'll just go with the flow and see what comes up. But um, I think we might give people a few different ideas for blending Galbanum for, for yeah, different aromatics well, and some, that kind some, of thing. Some recipes and stuff, definitely, yes. Yeah, um, for sure. And, uh, yeah, Neroli. Lovely for anxiety and skincare and loads of other things. So I'm looking forward to that. Very much so. Of course, we must promote our masterclass is on the 24th of August. So, it's only whoop, 11 days or not too far away. So make sure you grab your ticket. Check down below in the comment section. We've got a discount code so you can get a little bit off because we want to look after our listeners and our viewers. So remember, we've done it at a different time zone. This is going to be a lot more friendly if you're in Australia or um, or Europe. Um, North America, this is not so much a friendly time, but we're going to alternate the times every second month so that everyone can join us live. But even if you can't join us live, we're going to go deep and you're going to get the recording. So you want to make sure that you register anyway, you get the recording, and you've got lifetime access to that as well. Um, and we'll give you a little handout so you get all that as well. So make sure you register for that. We're going to be diving into, what have we got? We're, we're looking at Neroli. We're looking at Tea Tree. We're looking at Galbanum. And what was the other one we've explored this month? I've gone Not blank. A clue. Not a clue. No, you asked that. Oh, Palo Santo. Palo Santo. 
So, so we are going to be quite in a in a bit of a spooky realm, really, aren't we? Yeah, they're kind of a bit of a mysterious. Yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. So, yeah, big mix. Yeah. So, obviously, today I've talked a bit about Melissa stuff about the roses and stars and things like that, and of course, many of you will now know that my book is imminent. So it actually comes out the right at the end of um, September, September the twenty ninth, and so that weekend I'm going to be having all sorts of celebrations. Um, on the 30th I'm having lots of friends here in Ludlow and I'm experimenting a great deal with Greek wine at the moment to see what I like but um, <laughs> on the 29th which is the Friday which is the day that the book, the book comes out I'm having a, a, a party which I'd love to invite you all to in fact I'm having two so I'm having one in the afternoon and one in the evening so that like Australian people can come and stuff. And uh, I'll be doing a bit of a reading from the book and give, giving people the opportunity to ask some questions. So on my link tree, I have put links. Please do book on um, for it so that I've got an idea of how many people are coming. But I would love to celebrate because this is a massive, massive day for me. So five years work coming to a, a fruition and I don't want to be sitting there just looking going where as it sold one, as it sold one. <laughs> Trying to have some distraction of having some fun with my friends. So please do book on. So just to be clear, the 29th events, they're both obviously online. Um they are online, yeah, on Zoom, yeah. Yeah, so you won't be supplying Greek wine for that. You have to BYO Greek wine for the 29th party. Yes. And so actually, if you're thinking of bring your own. Here's some tips. So first of all, mead is, is is very good to have if we're going to do some kind of ceremonial work. Also, a beeswax candle. If you've got a beeswax candle, that will serve you well. Ooh, I can't wait now. So there's lots of different <laughs> exciting things. So our masterclass is the 24th of August. The launch parties are on the 29th of September. We'll also have a masterclass around that time as well. But that's enough to keep you busy. Liz, thanks for joining me for Galbanum. And, and I, I'm again, you know, sometimes we go off on different tangents and what we think about an oil. But when you when you mentioned Cyrus and something inside me that went, oh, that's what came to me as well. That's so like when, you you did, when you did Helichrys and when you started talking about Chiron, I was like, has he read my book and nicked my work? Rude. And then I was like, no, he hasn't read my book. And he's come up with exactly the same conclusion. It's very, very weird, isn't it? It is. And to everyone who's watching this and thinks, oh, we might plan it. Basically, we jump on. Liz goes, how was your week? I go, oh, yeah, it was great. I go, how was your week? She's like, yeah, it was good. And we go, ready? Let's go. And off we go. <laughs> so we have no prior discussion no. about the essential oil um, beforehand. So, yeah, that's the magic of, you know, how, how do two people in very different backgrounds in different parts of the world get the same thing? That's the magic of the universe, I guess. It is indeed. We'll see you next week for Neroli. Until then, take care. Have a lovely week. <laughs>